Welcome to Season 4 of the Barfly Podcast. My name is Jeff Berger, Barfly columnist for the Bay Area News Group and author of the books 20 Years Behind Bars and its sequel, Parole Denied. My co-host and barback is Kevin Blum, editor of the online entertainment hub, The Marine Dish. So sit back and enjoy our little peek behind the hospitality industry curtain. Oh, and don't forget to... Have a drink on me. Welcome back to the Barfly Podcast. Today we are delighted to have Stuart Morris on the program. He is among a small group of non-Japanese sake masters in the world. He's worked as a sake sommelier at Hana Restaurant in Runner Park and is now currently the sake som at Pabu Izakaya. Michael Mina and Chef Ken Tominaga's acclaimed Japanese restaurant and sushi bar in San Francisco. Welcome, Stuart. Thank you very much. I'm happy to be here. So to jump right on into this, yeah. you know, <laughs> uh, the, the funny thing is I was having a conversation with my wife just the other night about, about going to Japan and saying we're going to have this interview. And when I said uh, sake sommelier, she said, is there such a thing? <laughs> so there's my first question. Is That's a good there question. such a thing? Uh, there is definitely such a thing. It's, it's definitely uh, not a common thing, especially here in the United States. And sake knowledge, unfortunately, I feel like here is not as great as it, as it could be. Even if we go to a, a sushi bar that has all Japanese workers there, they don't always know about sake. They just buy the most popular ones, and that's why I keep seeing the same sakes all over, over and over and over the list. But there are definitely sake songs, and it's becoming more and more popular for sure. And it's also becoming more and more popular in uh, almost any tasting menu restaurant they have sake now. So it's, it's definitely becoming more and more popular thing. Well, it's certainly popular in Japan. I mean, Absolutely. You can't go to Japan and not, I mean, sake is everywhere. It's, it is Japan. It right? is, yeah. So there was an interesting thing you to- told me a, a few days ago about that sake doesn't mean sake. No, it doesn't. Actually, it's a Japanese word for alcohol. So it's whiskey, wine, beer, anything. Nihonshu is the beverage that you're thinking of when you think of sake. But if you go to Japan and say sake, you'll get that beverage. But that's why you get... Especially as an American. Especially as an American. Especially <laughs> as an American. The thing is, you get like... When you have sake that's really heated up really hot, it tastes kind of like rocket fuel, which I'm sure we've all had at not the best Japanese restaurants, usually that's actually kind of like a malt beverage where they take glucose and add yeast to make alcohol from it. It's not made from rice at all. That's why you have really bad hangovers. It's a chemical reaction, all that kind of thing. Nihonshu has very strict guidelines how to make it. It has to be exactly certain amounts. It has to be made from rice. It has to be made from this. So they're very strict. It's actually one of the cleanest alcohols in the world. They will say you don't get hangovers from it. I have gotten hangovers from it, to be honest with you, but uh, it is the cleanest alcohol in the world, so the chances are slimmer, let's say that. And I've seen a lot of hungover Japanese. In Japan. 100%. <laughs> I don't know what they're hungover from, but I can make a guess. So, well, the other thing is, you know, the thing about sake is you often hear about the polishing of the rice. That seems to be the, the number one thing to talk about. And, and But you made an interesting point. Absolutely. The polishing of rice is important, and I'm not going to try to sidestep that it is important but I feel like that's a thing that is easy to grasp for non-Japanese people to grasp the a milling and that's a first introduction for sake for me it's not the most important thing I think you can find I compare sake with almost anything right so if it's braised short ribs you wouldn't think a daikinchu can go with it because they're usually milled more than a little more elegant style in general but you can find daikinchus that go with that kind of thing and the other way around as well so it's it's I feel like it's more the the water the guy who's making the sake, all those kind of things play a little more part to me than the milling. Famous temple outside of Kyoto, the pure water temple. Yeah. That is why they started sake in that area. Absolutely. So terroir for sake is basically water. So softer water or harder water kind of gives you the terroir, the idea of sake, because 
grain is not like a fruit, so it doesn't pick up all the things from, from the earth. Even though the grain does change from year to year, how much starch it has, how hard it is, all those kind of things, how sticky it is, does play into the part of how you make the sake, what kind of koji you choose, all those kind of things play a part in it. But it's not the same terroir as you'd think of in, in wine. Sake is milled rice Correct. that is then fermented. Correct. Or brewed, actually. Brewed, actually, yeah. It's brewed. more like a beer, yeah. So it's a so wine's a simple fermentation. Right. So basically everything you make wine is in the grape. Sake is a cross parallel multiple fermentation. So you actually turn the starch and rice into sugar and adding yeast to make alcohol. But it kind of happens simultaneously. It's actually the highest fermenting alcohol in the world. It can brew up to 20% you mean alcohol. Naturally. Naturally yeah, up to 20%. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah, exactly. So actually sake is usually finished when they're done brewing are about 18 to 20%. Okay. And you do what's known as water mizu where you add water back to the sake to bring it down to about 15.5 as a normal sake. But you can find genshus, which mean are undiluted ones that are 18 to 20% alcohol. And, and typically the serving size for sake is much smaller than a, a we American do, bottle of wine, right? Yeah, well, we do six ounces of wine here and four ounces of sake right. for a glass. And then again, it's, it's a communal thing. I, I remember the thing in Japan is never pour your own sake. Yeah, absolutely. Right? It, it is a communal thing. It's, it's definitely... Um, it's kind of interesting. The sake culture in Japan is a little bit different than it is here. I mean, a sake song like me is not nearly as common. Maybe some high-end restaurants, but usually sake is like you go to izakayas. They're like in a big open fridge. You go and you grab the shoban you want. They pour a glass for you. You know, that kind of thing. It's much more casual. We in the Western world have an idea of wine and stuff like that, so we kind of melt, meld it together a little bit more to do like more sake pairings, more table-side service, that kind of stuff, which isn't at nearly as common in Japan. It's a much more casual beverage. It's kind of like their... Water. But, yeah, kind of, yeah, kind of. It's, kind of, it is. You know, it's kind of like, it's just, sake is a very casual thing in Japan. Right. And, like everyone goes to Izakai and, you know, even you sit on like beer crates and you drink glasses of sake and eat, you know... Or explain what Izakaya is, too. Izakaya is like a Japanese pub, a sake pub, a general pub. It's um, like a brew house. Like a brew house, yeah. Mm -hmm. But they don't, usually they don't brew their own beer, but they have good relationships with certain breweries, so they'll carry a lot of the sakes from a certain brewery or whatever. Casualness. Casualness of it, yeah. You'll even see, like, the one I go to a lot where I I work in Yonezawa is. it's basically a seafood one, but they don't even have menus. They just post things on the wall and just like look at the wall and be like, oh yeah, I'll take that and mm-hmm. that and that. You know, it, it's a much more casual thing. Well, again, the, our, our idea of what a Japanese restaurant is in the United States is quite a bit different than what they Quite a bit different, yeah, Japan, absolutely. Right? They're you much more get, specific. Well, you don't get tempura at the sushi place. That's 100%. Right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. If they, they make tempura, you do tempura. Right. Robot, like a, a restaurant like a... Is like Pabu wouldn't exist in Japan because we have robotiyaki, we have tempura, we have sushi, and we focus on a lot of different Japanese foods. But if you want robotiyaki, you go to a robotiyaki shop, and that's it. If you want tempura, all they make is tempura, which is for me a, a really amazing thing. And I think also, I mean, for me, the, one of the things I've noticed, especially in Japan, in America, I feel like people go to restaurants because they want to get what they want to get. In <laughs> yes. Japan, you go to the restaurant because you, they make something really good and you got to eat that. Right. Yes. You yeah. know, and it's not the way, that way here. You know, people come in and like, oh, I want you to make nobu sashimi with jalapenos. Mm-hmm. That's not, you know, that's not really what we do. But you never say that in Japan. You go there because that's what they make and right. it's good. Right. And that's what you want. And you'll stand around the block to, to get it. You know, so it's just a different dining culture altogether. The customer's not always right there. Exactly, exactly, 100%. <laughs> so tell us a little bit about your experience going to, as an American to Japan and, and trying to learn about their national beverage to bring it's, back here. It's definitely, uh, well, it was, it's, it's definitely been a long journey. I, I've, it's always difficult to fit into another culture in general. But one thing I definitely found out was I feel like if you have the will to want to learn something, and you, you have the will to, to work hard and uh, prove yourself. They're very opening 
to you. Uh, you just have to prove that you, that you want to do it, you know. And I've spent many, 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 many days cleaning sake breweries from top to bottom to show how much I want to do it or waking up early to beat them to the to where there's, to the right place so I can show that I want to be there and all those kind of things. It's just, you just have to want to do it. Again, you don't go there and tell them what you want to do. No, no, 100%, 100%. And, there's, and one of the things that I found was very hard was trying to fit in Japanese culture. Is, in my opinion, we're not particularly, like, subtle here. But in Japan, it's very subtle. So you have to like pay attention to all the little nuances. And they'll tell you that you're doing something wrong. But they won't blatantly tell you you're doing something wrong. For instance, my first time at Shindo Shuzo, usually I stay at the brewery. So I work you know, almost two months and I stay at the brewery. I, I sleep there and I wake up every three hours for koji and all that kind of stuff. So by the time, I'm pretty exhausted by the end of it. So I, and I, for me, it's very important that I want to spend as much time as I can in the brewery. So I will literally take every day that Pablo will give me off and spend it at the brewery and fly back to the United States and work this, that night at, at Papa so I can take every actual, actual day. So the last couple of days, he lets me stay in a hotel so I don't have to do Koji. I, get, I can get some sleep So because he knows I'm going back to work in like two days. And what does Koji do? Uh, koji is when you turn the starch. It's a process of turning this, actually a mold that turns starch into sugar. Koji making is, is it takes about 48 to 72 hours and it's literally around the clock. Every three hours you check the temperature. So we get up every three hours to check the temperature, cool it down or heat it up depending. So I was staying in the hotel the last couple of days, my first trip there, and I, I received so many bottles of sake from all my friends there that I had almost 25 bottles of sake, and I had nowhere to bring them back. I didn't know how to bring them back. So I literally, as a Westerner, I was like, you know what? I'm just going to leave my clothes all here. Because <laughs> a pair of jeans is not worth, worth this bottle of sake. I don't care. I'll just leave. Yeah. Uh, so I left clothes and clothes and clothes in the hotel room. And I'm thinking, I'll never see it again, because that's what we do. What is it? it goes in the trash, right? So I filled my suitcase with sake, and I went home. I came back the next year, and he, he's like, hey, come here. And I'm like, oh, what? He opens his closet oh, no. <laughs> at the brewery, and they're, all my clothes are clean and pressed. Oh, wow. And he's like, here's your clothes. It seemed like very, uh, it is a very nice gesture. I'm yeah. not saying that. But he's also saying, hey, stupid, don't leave your crap yes. around. Yes. Right. So you just learn, you have to learn. And don't, don't make the same mistake twice, mm. you know, which is also very important. Like, you have to learn. If they teach you something, you have to learn it and don't. Don't do that mistake Pay attention. Again. Pay attention and yes. don't do that mistake yeah. again. Very much true in the same, the same with martial arts. I told Kevin a story of some years ago. I left my sunglasses on a bench in, in Kyoto, and I bet you they're still sitting there. Yeah, probably. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, 100%. 100%. I would, one of my first trips to Japan, uh, there was a, like a, a drunk business guy laying on the sidewalk with, in his glasses falling off his head, and I saw these like teenagers coming like right for him, and I was like, oh, this is not good. So I kind of like stuck around just, I don't know, yeah. just what I'm used to, but I'd yeah. never been to Japan before. They literally put the glasses like back on his face and kept walking. <laughs> And I was like, what? <laughs> but it's just a different culture, yes. you know, and it's something you have to get used to, and you have to think of community first, which we're not necessarily used to thinking about. Tradition, respect for tradition respect for and respect, yeah. And even though you don't, that's not your tradition, you have to respect their tradition and uh, follow what they want you to follow. I, I was always taught, don't ask questions. Yeah, don't, like, yeah. You know, they'll tell you. They'll tell you, right? Yeah, yeah. You they'll tell you when you're, yeah. Right. And he'll mm-hmm. tell me, he'll be like, hey, come here. This is how you do this. You don't do it like this, you won't be here. So, how long did you work as an apprentice there? Uh, so I, I've been with them for seven years. Seven years, okay. Yeah. And I worked my first my first time there. I was there. I spent two months usually because I can't get much more time off. Also, being away from my wife for longer than that is, is difficult. So basically, I worked the first two months. I got there. I had to clean the brewery from top to bottom. It's kind of like Golden Gate Bridge, right? You start on one side and you clean the brewery and you clean the brewery. back the other. And you go back the other way. <laughs> and he, he invited me back the next year. The first day, he's like, hey, come here. We're, he's, he was making a shoebo. He's like, hey, come here. This is how you do this. You do this every time. You don't do it like this, you won't be back. And I was like, 
Okay. And I, he taught me. And he taught me every, every time. He's still, I mean, he's, he's very much my mentor. And he's still like, he'll be like, oh, so how do you feel about the sake temperature? What do you think about this? I'm like, maybe we should just leave it the same tonight. He's like, maybe we should bring it down one degree. I'm like, okay, let's bring it down one degree. He's like, good idea. <laughs> <laughs> like that kind of thing. I you know what yeah, yeah. Yes. Like that kind of thing. You know, he's not telling me what to do, but he's telling me what to do. It sounds like a question, but it's not a question. Yeah, it's not a question. It's <laughs> right. like, yeah, yeah, this is what you're doing. <laughs> and then how did you connect with uh, Chef Tominaga? Me and Kenson have been working together for, geez, I'm... 16 years or so 16 years yeah wow. 15 years something like that and actually so I was uh, I was I worked at La Toque mm-hmm. in Rutherford as a chef I worked in line there and other things Ken Frank who's the chef owner there actually took me to Hana for the first time and I had sushi and Ken Tomonaga made me sushi and then I started becoming a regular Hana every we go there for lunch mm-hmm. and I became a regular and then I was I was already in sake but when I was at La Toque and trying to get Ken Frank to put sake on the list and all those kind of things but He's very French, so it didn't really work out, and I would start to get a little bit like frustrated because this is what I want to do, and trying to be involved in sake however I can because it's difficult. There's just not a lot out there, so it's hard to be involved as much sake as you can. And I used to choose sake here in the city and all kinds of things. And I decided that I didn't. I wanted to be closer to Japanese people, so I start to pick up the language and just pick, try to pick up the culture in some way. So I I ended up leaving the token and started working for Ken, and I just signed on as a, to work for a sushi bar for him. As a sushi chef. As a sushi chef, yeah. Which I'd never done before, but he he started to train me, and I started to learn about making sushi. And then people started to get knowledge, knowledge I knew about sake, so they'd come in and they want kind of sushi, but also want to talk to me about sake. So I'd have to come around the sushi bar and talk to this person about sake and this person about sake until one day Ken was just like, you know, you're not that good at making sushi, so just <laughs> just go talk about sake. You know? He's like, yeah, yeah, <laughs> this isn't going anywhere. So just go talk about sake. Yeah. That's clearly what's yeah. going on. So did don't, don't ask, do that. Did he ask you if you thought you were? No, no, he just told me I'm not very good. He's like, you're not good. That's an American. Just go do yeah. that. Yeah. <laughs> So I started being the front of house for him, and I took over the whole sake list at Hana, and I was a sake son at Hana for several years. And then when him, he teamed up with Michael, I came here and started doing the I've been here since the beginning, uh, and I did the sake program since the beginning here. And for a while, I was doing both, Yeah. and then it just kind of got a little much for me. So I'm just now working here. To sum it up for, for a novice, huh? what would be your, your primary, if you're trying to pick a sake, how, how do you do that? That's, Easy and quickly. I that's hard. Yeah, that's really hard. I would. That's a really hard question. I get that all the time. It's really hard. I would if I am on. If I was starting out, learning, trying to learn about sake, I would start by areas. I would pick sakes like from. So if you like more fruit tone sake, a lot of Yamagata sakes tend to be fruit tone. If you want something more light and clean, I would start with Nigata. And I would start like going to menus and being like, okay, that's from Nigata. I want to try that one. I want to try that one. And starting to grasp in the area, and then start moving out to other things. And you'll start recognizing different labels and different bottles, and then you'll be like, oh yeah, I had that one. I had that one. Let's try this. Uh, really tasting and drinking is really the only way. It's not like there's no read all catch where you look at a, a thing and be like, oh, that's a good sake. It doesn't, it doesn't work like that, unfortunately. And I know uh, that's one is, is, is a hard thing with sake, but it's just, you have, just have to drink and learn. I mean, that's the reality of it. Oh, that's a tough, that's a, that's that's a tough, tough task. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a tough <laughs> task, I know, I understand. First world problems. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. Yeah, exactly. But I would suggest starting with a region. And then work your way down. So the grinding of rice and all that would be a secondary consideration. Start with a region, familiarize I think so. Because I get that all the time here. People are like, oh, I want a daigancho. And I'm like, well, what are you looking for? You're looking mm-hmm. for something more fruit tone? You're looking for something more like earth tone? You're looking for something richer, rounder, like really light and clean? What mm-hmm. are you looking for? Well, I like something a little earthy and richer. Okay, you don't want a daigancho. You or generally, it's all about what what you actually enjoy in sake. And for me too, daiginchos aren't the best sakes. I mean, of course they're milled the most and they take the most effort to make, but it's like a Napa cab, right? It costs the most to make and costs the most to buy, but is it the best? 
-hmm. It's up to you. That's, That's your decision. Right. That's subjective, yeah. right? right? So it doesn't necessarily mean in Honjozo's, I don't have a bad I, bad connotation here as being like cheap because they add alcohol to them. But they're not they're, they're not any worse than Jumai or anything else. It's just all what you like. I drink the whole spectrum. I like all kinds of sake. And it depends on what I'm eating and how I feel. And I never, when I spiel a sake at a table, I almost literally never say it's a Jumai, Honjozo, Daigincho. I talk about the rice rice I talk about where it's from, I talk about the water source, I talk about the guy who makes it, mm -hmm. I talk about the flavor profile you're going to yeah. taste, but I never say it's a Daigincho or Jumai. It just is, the le for me, the least important, I'm not saying it's not important, right. I'm not saying that, uh, that at all, but it, for me, it's the least important thing. And well, well, the part of the other thing is, since Americans are so wildly ignorant, uh, and myself included, right, uh, that it, you just have to go with what you like. Yeah, right? 100%. Because if I tried to explain it to you, you would probably wonder, what is he saying? Right, 100%. Yeah, you have to go with what you like. And that's the thing, too. Like, you have to go with what you like. Right. If you want some more fruit tones, then maybe Daigenchos or something that you do like. Right. But you like, like, umami and things like that. A lot of Jew mice tend to show that. But... I could find something on the spectrum to do all those things. It is what it is the style that you like. That's why I try to ask like more specific questions about taste, about, pre yeah, pre yeah. preferences, pre to, exactly. to preconceived notions. Exactly. Right. And then if I get no answers, I'm like, well, what kind of food do you eat? <laughs> oh, sushi. All right, I got something for you. You know that kind of thing. Sushi. Because a lot of people are like, restaurant? yeah. Because <laughs> a lot of people are like, I have no idea. Right. I'm like, okay, well, we'll remedy that. But let me. And that's an honest answer, and that you can probably work with that. I can, yeah. Yes. Well, then I go into what it's eating, and then what you're eating, and then what goes best, best with it. Because okay. at the end of the day, sake is made for food. It's, it's, I mean, wine is made for food too, but I think sake is more food forward. And they are made to be eaten with food for the most part. So don't worry about tomorrow. Take it for today. Please join us next time as Season 4 continues with industry insiders and industry outsiders. My name is Jeff Burkhart. Thanks for listening. Have a drink.